0: Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the production studios of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X, giving a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of creating infinite sales opportunities by giving a stage and microphone to people like Xander Fryer. What's up, Xander? How are you tonight? I'm doing well, man. How about you? Doing great. Happy Trajectory Tuesday to you, brother. What's going on today?
1: Oh, well, you know, just doing some, uh, doing some interviews, doing some podcasts, working, having a good time. Can't love complain.
0: that. Love that folks. This is Xander Fryer. He is the coach of coaches. He coaches over 800 coaches He's in New York. He's a, uh, I believe New York times, bestselling author, aren't you Xander? Or bestselling author? best selling
1: author. Not net you, not yet. New York times. We'll get that one next time. We're working on that. <laughs> We're working on that. We're working on that.
0: That's it. So, so happy to have you here this evening. And so again, folks, this is Xander Fryer. We are Infinity X. Replay will be on WeAreInfinityX.com. We are Infinity X YouTube. So Xander, it's a pleasure to meet you, brother. And uh, tell me a little bit about your
1: background. Where are you from originally? Yeah, originally from San Diego. Actually, I'm, I'm in San Diego right now. But uh, originally from San Diego, grew up here. What was that? I said I'm envious. Uh, most people are when I say that, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially right now during the year. But uh, from San Diego originally... Um, you know, went to went to UCLA, did kind of the normal uh what everybody talks about. You know, you know, you go to college, so you can get a degree and then go into the corporate world and and get a nice salary, get a nice job and and I don't know, make money, get a mortgage until you die, but uh that's that's how it all started at least.
0: Yep. yep. And um what did you graduate what what type of uh, study did you do at UCLA? So
1: I I graduated electrical engineering. Oh. Um I was actually yeah, so I was uh uh, I was in Air Force ROTC. You know, I always tell people, you know, when I was in high school, I was really good at math. So, uh, you know, going into college, it was like, well, you're, you're going to be an engineer. It'll always get great pay. So I went to college and I was in in engineering and, you know, I absolutely loved, you know, equations and all of those things. No, I didn't give a shit about that stuff. Um, <laughs> right. I, I uh, so I, I joined Air Force ROTC because I had to pay my way through college. And I, that's where I really fell in love with, with leadership and, and, you know, having, you know, first time I ever really felt purpose and, and mission in my life. Um, but it wasn't until my senior year of, uh, of college that I actually got a DUI and I was kicked out of the air force. Oh, um, man. so yeah, so graduated, I was actually going to be a fighter pilot in the air force. Wasn't going to have anything to do with my degree, um, but got kicked out my senior year. So, uh, electrical engineering, it is. Got it. And then what happened after that? Yeah, so after that I you know went on to do what any you know, 21, 22 year old lost kid would do. They took their uh, they took their degree and they went into the corporate world, right? So that's what I did. I, uh, I went and work for Cisco Systems for about six years um, as a systems engineer had essentially what everybody told me was success, right I made you know around a quarter of a million dollars. I was covering companies like Disney, Facebook, uh, NBC, Universal, Verizon—you know, you name it. I was living in Venice Beach, driving around in a BMW, flying first class to meet my clients across the country. Oh. Um, so you know, had what had what everybody told me was success, but I didn't really—you know—didn't really feel fulfilled. It kind of felt empty during that process.
0: It's so interesting. That's so interesting. Um, <clears throat> so you're a young guy making really fantastic. And what and what time frame around was this, Xander?
1: This was. So this was back in 2015. Okay so about, about six, seven years ago. Incredible. Um, yeah, two, 2015, I was I was 26, 27 years old. 26, 27
0: years old, making a quarter million dollars flying in private jets. Pretty, pretty, pretty stupid, right? You know, but how, like, what, what were the telltale signs for you that you weren't feeling the fulfillment? Like, because, I mean, I remember, you know, like when I was, when I was that age, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I I don't think I was necessarily having that level of success, but I was having some measured success, but I was nowhere near as self-aware as I am right now, obviously, but you sound like you were at that point.
1: How, what were the telltale signs there? You know, I think, I think for me, Part of the reason that I saw this, because there were some telltale signs, but I think a lot of people don't notice them. I think I noticed them more for several reasons. Part of it was actually because I was in the Air Force. One of the things that they always emphasized was mentorship. Sure. Getting, getting outside eyes on your life, getting mentorship to, to give you advice. And you know, because of that, I was a big fan of, of self-development. I read John Maxwell books. I read Jack Canfield books. I, you know, I was into all of this personal development. So I was always focusing on, on assessing myself, even when I was in my, you know, my early twenties and even my late teens. Um, so for me, probably the biggest thing was I, you know, while I was in the corporate world, I made it very clear in, uh, in the corporations that in, in the corporate world that I was in, that I wanted to lead people. I loved leading people. That's what I loved when I was in the air force. And it was always, you know, more hoops to jump through. And it was, Oh, two to three years, two to three years, two to three years. And I was making great money and every every six months I would get a raise and I'd get a promotion and it would be great, I'd feel amazing. And then I, you know, I'd feel this, this sharp peak of joy and then this just drop down to a, like a dull, just back to normality sort of thing. And it was just like, every time that happened, it was like one peak of joy and then just back to like the daily grind and, it just, and I'm a happy guy. But right. it was not a happy, happy way to be living for me. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't what I truly love to do.
0: I'm hearing dopamine hits, right? It was a for dopamine sure.
1: hit followed action back. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That makes sense. It's the, yeah. Di- yeah, the difference between the dopamine hits and the, the, the sheer, like true joy and happiness and fulfillment, right? Yep. The sustained joy and happiness. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so now you were with Cisco for, for six years. Um, and, you know, I, as you, as you, as you kind of scaled there and as, as you move forward and you started to identify that you know leadership was something that you wanted to explore at a higher level, when was it that you identified that you wanted to pivot? Now, did you remain in corporate after you left? Uh, six, uh, I said, it sounds like I, I got a funny story coming here. So I, I, yeah,
1: I, I did not. I did not remain in corporate. Um, so here's how it happened about six, you know, six years in I, uh, and this is kind of where the mentorship becomes pretty crucial. Um, so I, I always tell people in any like major change or transformation in life, I always feel like there's a buildup. Like it's like a balloon. There's a buildup, there's a blowing up, and then there's a pop. Right. And I think for six years, there was a constant buildup of me getting clearer on a lot of the things that were going on in my life and, and really understanding what was important to me and the pop. Uh, I, you know, one day I was having a conversation with a mentor of mine and he was, he was a health and wellness entrepreneur, uh, made seven figures, traveled the world, like, and was just so happy because what he was doing was helping people, helping people get healthier, helping them in so many different ways. And that was something that always aligned with me. And, uh, I was out with him one weekend and, uh, this conversation was probably lubricated by a a little bit of tequila, I think. Um, (laughs) conversation. our brother always, always are. <laughs> and, and he just asked me, he goes, he goes, Xander, you're so young. Like you could do so many things in life. And he just asked me the question that really changed my life. He said, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Hmm. And this is actually the title of my Ted talk. He said, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And I sat with it for a second. I said, honestly, I, I'd, I'd mentor people. Full time. I I don't know what that is, but that's what I do. I I miss it so much from the Air Force. It's the one thing that I miss from the Air Force is getting to lead and mentor people. And I and I mentor in the early and career network in Cisco right now, but it's like five percent of my time. And and he goes, Great. Why you know, why don't you why don't you figure out how to do that? And I just kind of giggled. I was like, What do you mean? Like be like a Tony Robbins character or something? Like that's hilarious. That's adorable. And he goes, he goes, well, seriously, why wouldn't you do it? And I said, well, I've got this amazing career. I'm being paid almost a quarter of a million dollars. I'm on a fast track to become, you know, one of the youngest directors in in Cisco's recent history. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm, as I'm spouting all of this stuff off, I'm like in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is all bullshit. Mm. Like this is all this, none of that really matters to me. And, and he goes, Xander, let me just ask you a question. Just because you're good at something, does that mean you should do it? Mm. And just because you're on a track, does that mean, and just because you're on a track and you've put a bunch of time into it, does that mean you should stay on the track? And he said, you know, the one thing, he was about 15 years older than me at the time. He said, the one thing that you'll learn when you get to my age, he said, there's one resource you can never get back and it's your time.
0: That's exactly, and every,
1: yep. every so, moment, every moment is either on purpose or off purpose. And every moment off purpose is a moment wasted.
0: Ooh, say that again. Say that again, Xander, for all the good folks that are on here. He
1: said, every moment is either on purpose or off purpose. And every moment off purpose is a moment wasted. And that was the line. That was the line that really got me. And he said, Xander, do you know the difference between you and me? And I was like, joking. I was like, well, you make a shit ton more money than I do. (laughs) Uh, And he said, maybe. And he said, the difference between you and me is uh, I'm actually living my dream. And ever since you got kicked out of the Air Force, you've just been dreaming one wow. Whoa. That hit you right between the eyes. I bet. And, and this was, I, you know, I was this cocky, cocky mid twenties kid making more than like more than both of my parents combined. Pretty sure my, like my tax payment was more than both of my parents combined at that point. Right. And, and I'm sitting here just this cocky little shit. And he just straight through straight through all I see is a scared kid to do what he really knows he needs to do. Can I share with you how much I identify with the
0: statement that you just made? So, about four years ago, I was operating as an independent financial advisor, right? And yeah. I, I, I qualified. I, th- I, I felt like I was having a measure of success, right? Yeah. And, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's level of success and measurement of success is different, but I, I'm kind of feeling who I was a little bit, right? And so I qualify for this company trip, Um, and <laughs> I met at that time, and we'll got to know better at that time, my soon-to-be partner, Rob Gill, who was the founder of Epic Financial Strategies, my company, right? Yeah. And, I, on these trips, part of what you got to do is you got to make you have to make presentations to everybody else that's there, right? So I make a presentation. It's a financial presentation that we call we affectionately call "Up the Mountain, Down the Mountain," and it's about you know it's about the two different phases of you know accumulation of wealth and distribution of wealth and all this stuff. And long story endless. Um, after uh, after I make the presentation, I remember I had a private moment with Rob, and he he said, Dave. He said that that presentation was 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 fantastic. But I got a question for you. Who are you telling that story to? And Uh, it hit me. I I swear, Xander, it hit me. I had I stuttered. I stutter stepped. Literally, I had nothing to say because what he made incredibly evident to me is that you can have all the book knowledge in the world. But if you don't have a larger stage and microphone to share your unique identity with people, then yeah what's the purpose, you know? So I, I totally, totally identify with that. That's it. We have those aha moments from people that would ultimately become mentors of ours that really kind of take shape and shape what our trajectory going forward is going to be. So I totally, identify. And, it's, and
1: it's amazing how it's that one line. It's that I, one line that comes out at the perfect time and it just cuts through all the rest and hits absolutely. home.
0: Yep. Yep. And so when he shared that with you now, let me like, were you feeling Oh, who the hell is this guy? He didn't know what the F he's talking about. Or was it like, what what was going on internally with you there? I
1: I trusted him. He was, he was someone that I respected. I think that's really important for people to understand when you, when you find mentorship from somebody, you want to find a mentor. I always tell people, you want to find a mentor that you would love to switch places with them. Right. If, if you wouldn't love to switch places with them in every aspect of their life, not just, you know, like, uh, like not just financially or something like that. Right. He, He lived a life where he was great financially. He was happily married, beautiful family, and he was madly in love and he traveled the world and had fun doing it all. I was like, at that point in time, I was like, I want to be this guy. Mm. And so when he told me something, it's kind of that idea of you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Right. And so I had to, you know, that stuff is, it's never easy to hear that kind of feedback, right. It's never enjoyable because right afterwards, you know, comes a whole whirlwind of discomfort and work. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you have to be open enough to allow that stuff to come in. And I think for me, he was the right person to say it because I admired him in the way that he lived. And if he saw something that I didn't, I was going to listen. And so it, it hit home, it landed um, to kind of finish off the story for you. That was, that was a Saturday that next Sunday. I literally didn't talk to a single person the entire day. I could not stop thinking about the conversation because it landed so well. And then Monday morning, I went, uh, back to my, my morning meetings and it was like, you know, 8 AM to 9 AM with the Disney team and 9 AM to 10 AM with the sales team and 10 AM to 11 with the, with the NBC team and 11 to 12. And each of these hours, at the end of it, I could not stop thinking, I'm never going to get that hour back. And that hour was off purpose. Unbelievable. And the, next, the next one, I'm never going to get that hour back. By the time it was noon, all I could think about was I'm never going to get that morning back. And that morning was off purpose. And I literally called my manager and I was like, Frank, I'm done. And he was like, what do you mean? Who gave you a job offer? And I was like, nobody, nobody gave me a job offer. And he's like, well, where are you going? What are you doing? And I said, I don't know, but I know it's not this. And that's it
0: unbelievable we are infinity x giving the stage and microphone to human excellence this is Xander fryer just uh just sharing an unbelievable journey at 26 years old walking away from a corporate opportunity that uh, most people would kill for but fulfillment is 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 so so powerful and mentorship is so so powerful and the nuggets being dropped here already absolutely fire folks if you have a question for Xander, please put it into the chat we will get there in a few minutes and so Dude, (laughs) so so, um, you walk in, you walk into him and you're like, look, I don't know where I'm going, but no, I don't belong here. So what happened next?
1: Yeah. And I think for me that the big thing there was, you know, the, 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 the idea of time really resonated with me. Right. Um, And I at least recently lost an uncle and, you know, in the next few weeks I would actually lose my best friend to suicide. So it just, it was something that was repeating going on in my life was that we, we don't have a lot of time here on earth. And if you're not spending it properly, you're not going to get any more. I think that was a a really, brother, thank you for that, man. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so for me, you know, the next thing was, you know, I basically just quit cold Turkey, no idea what I was doing. Um, no network, no, never been an entrepreneur before, never been a coach before. Um, but I knew that I wanted to coach and lead others. So the first thing that I did uh, was I hired pretty much everybody that I possibly could to, to, uh, expedite or time collapse that learning process. You know, there's the, the famous quote from Tony Robbins. He said, success, loves speed. And Mm. also, uh, success. What's he say? He says, um, oh man, you can learn from other success, right? So it's repeatable. You just follow their processes. Um, clues, success leaves clues. There you go. Success loves speed and success leaves clues. Um, and so what I did is I basically just hired all the mentors I could. and I know what a lot of people are thinking. they're like, yeah, but Sandra, you made a quarter of a million dollars, so you just had this stockpile of money that you could spend on everything. And I will remind everybody that I'm a millennial and I don't know how to save money. So I did not have a stockpile pile of money. I had spent all my cash at you know trying to fill that void buying beer that you know beer rounds of beer at the bar and, trips to to Cabo on weekends and stuff like that. So I had about three months worth of living expenses saved up and I spent every dime of it in the first 30 days on different mentorship and coaching programs and masterminds and you name it. I was trying to learn how to become an online entrepreneur, learn how to do coaching, learn how to do all these things and actually turn it into a full-time business. Um, And about three months in, about three months in, I was at this point now, uh, $25,000 in debt, maxed out two credit cards and still not making a dime in my business. I was about two, three weeks away from not being able to pay rent. Mm. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. And that's when it really all started to click. It was like, it was almost like a combination lock. I had hired one of my last mentors and it was like the last key in the combination lock. And it started to open up and I got my first, uh, first handful of clients. And I ended up making about 13 K that first month that I ended up uh making any money the next month was 17k then it was 24 32 42 and it just kind of started to scale up from there and this is all you know as the cliche you know millennial quits corporate job to start life coaching business right so mm-hmm. um you know at that point we had kind of learned uh, I had I had really learned what really worked for me and I'd start to build a network of other coaches life coaches health coaches career coaches um, that were all like, you just did in like three months, what I've been trying to do for three years. Like, what the hell did you just do? And that's really where high impact coaching was born. I had a handful of people that were just like, look, I don't care what you just did. You just need to teach it to me and I'll pay you for it. And so I had about five, five of my friends and, and network that were like, I just need to hire you to teach me how to do whatever you just did. And I went and worked with them and I was like, I don't know if this will work, but I no. went and I went and taught them what I just did. Cause clearly I had a knack for it. And it worked for them. And so they each went and told a couple more people and that's how high impact coaching started to grow. So, uh, like you mentioned, we've helped over, over 800 coaches build six multiple six and seven figure businesses since then. Um, but the, you know, our big passion is, you know, every single one of these coaches, just like myself has a huge mission and a desire to serve other people. And, and most of them never really get the opportunity to serve at the level they want to simply because they don't learn the business side of it. Uh, to really help them get there. So,
0: th- thank you for that. That's at like what a
1: journey, Un- unbelievable, yeah. folks. If you have a question. That's the, by the way, these are a lot of the highlights, right? This this all sounds great on paper, but like I mentioned, there's a lot of low lights to go there. You know, like we taught, There's there's a lot of times when I was you know late at night crying, no idea what I was doing. Like I mentioned, lost one of my closest friends. Been through tough breakups. Been through all of that stuff too. So. Well, and, and
0: thank you for that because you're right. It's not all just a bed of roses. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that first couple yeah. of months when you started to scale upwards. So first thing, you know, who were the avatars, who were the individuals that you had focused in on, whether you want to call it a target market or whatever it is yeah. that you centered on to prospect towards, to gain new
1: coaching clients, who were those people and why were they? For, for me, it was, it was pretty easy. It was my past self. Um, <laughs> You know, it was, it was the person that I wanted to save from going down the path that I had gone down. It was helping, helping someone, helping prevent someone from going down the, the corporate world path of just trying to, getting stuck in the hamster wheel, going down that rabbit hole and ending up, you know, I was lucky enough to get out at six years. There's a lot of people that go 10, 15, 20, 25 years before they realize I don't want to be doing this anymore. And, and by that point, you're, you're kind of screwed. It's a right? scary
0: thing too, because then you find yourself, you're 45 years old, married with two kids and a mortgage and, all and a mortgage. Problems. And you've
1: got all these other things keeping you locked in. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, for me, it was, it was pretty clear. I wanted to help my past self. I wanted to help people do something more fulfilling to them. And it was, it was really, it's funny. Cause like, I look back on it now, it was really kind of a, a career coaching offer. I was helping corporate professionals transition to careers they really loved. Um, So it really was a career coaching offer, but I, you know, I was doing, I wasn't helping people with resumes. I wasn't helping people with interviews. I was helping people get clear on what really mattered to them. And I was helping people learn how to follow that and overcome the fears of, of judgment, the fears of criticism, the fears of, you know, everything else that's preventing them from doing what really matters. And that's what I was focusing on.
0: How do you go about doing that? How do you go about overcoming some of those limiting beliefs? (sighs) Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we, we got about 45 minutes, brother. So, they, we, we, so we, we can go. We can keep here. going. Let's
1: the sleeves. Let's go. So so, do you know what percent of your brain is your subconscious mind? I do not. So your subconscious mind is about 95. Some, some uh, scientists believe it's closer to 98% of your brain. So you, unfortunately, are only 5% of you. Yeah. Kind of scary and a little bit humbling. Yeah. Right. So our brain, the high majority of our brain and therefore 90 to 95% of our actions, beliefs, habits, and thoughts are all dictated by this unconscious or subconscious mind, right? The conscious thinking us is really only 5% of us, right? So the way that I explain this to people is that subconscious is about 95% of your brain. And it's like a supercomputer. Mm. It's constantly being programmed. Now, if do you know how to program your brain? No, I do not. Like you weren't taught this as a kid. This is, this isn't, <laughs> this is my, this is the reason my, my podcast and my book are called shit. You don't learn in college, right? Like you were given you were. I bet that fancy mic you have sitting in front of you. I bet you got a user's manual for that mic, but nobody gave you a user's manual for your brain yep. and your emotions and yep. how you as a human operate to be fulfilled and happy and joyful. Right. And so one of the biggest things that I always tell people is like, before you move forward on anything else, you need to know how you as a person operate. And so I'll, I'll kind of fill a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners in around this. So your subconscious mind is 95% of your brain. It is programmed every single moment, every single day, and has been since the moment that you were born. You can't even remember most of these programmings. Now there's two things that program your subconscious mind, repetition and emotion. Hmm. Okay. Uh, David, do you remember where you were when you found out about nine 11 Yes. Where were you? I was uh, in my car
0: heading uh, from a business meeting on just about to get onto the West side highway.
1: You see those details that just came up for you. Yep. Like you cl- this is, this is carved into your brain. Were you consciously thinking about nine 11 before I brought it up? No, I was not. No, of course. Right. But because that was such an emotionally heightened situation for so many of us, uh, like I can remember exactly where I was. I was in class and I was uh, like, they, they brought it up on the monitors and no joke, I laughed because I didn't think it was real. So it was, so, I was like, oh my God, I just laughed at not like at the Twin Towers being hit by a, uh, and I, it was so emotional for me. Yeah. Right. Because I didn't think it was real. Now that moment is so emotional. It, digs- because it was so ludicrous, right? It was so crazy to me. It was so crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was so crazy to me. Yeah. Right. But for anybody who remembers where they were when they found out about 9-11, I, I guarantee you could you can remember vivid details about that situation because it was so emotional. Right. Now there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of these moments across your life. And a high majority of them are heavily concentrated in your earlier parts of life between the ages of three and 10, where, you know, right now for something to be a life or death situation for me, it's actually got to be a pretty close to life or death situation. Right. But when I'm five years old, anything can be a life or death situation. I got, you know, I I do a lot of psychosomatic and subconscious work with myself and our clients to literally unprogram them and reprogram. And when I was doing one of these sessions, I found out that, you know, when I was five years old, I got locked in a bathroom because I ran away from my mom (laughs) and I ran into the bathroom and I slammed the door behind me and the, the door handle broke. And I look back at that right now and I'm like, that's hilarious. That's really funny. But as the five-year-old me, I legitimately thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to run out of air. It was terrifying. And so the story that I told myself in my head, the programming that was then created was, you know, if I have a conflict with people, it's going to create a life or death situation for me. So I avoided conflict like the plague in a high majority of my life. Wow. Wow. And, and it roots back to, wow, that's,
0: that's unreal. So it roots back to that traumatic experience and your, your frontal lobe, right. When you're at that age, when you, is, yeah. is when you're developed, right. So it's that, that that's unreal. That's unbelievable. So, so
1: And, and as you know, most of us, most of us is like the conscious thinking us right now are like, Oh yeah, I went through a, I went through a bad breakup, you know, a couple of years ago. And I think that's programmed me a little bit. Most of the stuff happened well, well younger than that. And you have no idea what it was because it, you know, frankly, like me getting locked in the bathroom, I look back on them. like, that's not that, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but as that five-year-old me, it was completely traumatizing. And I don't, I didn't even remember it for 30, you know, 25, 30 years or whatever it was. Right. So, so one of the things that you mentioned is how do we overcome these limiting beliefs? How do we overcome these fears? The first thing that I want you to understand, I want everybody to understand is that frankly, none of these fears are real. None of them, right? None of all, almost all of these fears are fabricated. Um, There's two fears that we are actually born with. Do you know what they are? Uh, Fear and greed, maybe? We're born with the fear of loud noises and the fear of heights, the fear of loud noises and heights. Oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't. know. Yeah. So, it, which makes sense as like evolutionary man, right? You don't want your baby to like walk off a cliff accidentally. And if they hear a saber tooth tiger roar, you don't want them going towards it. Right. That's evolutionarily helpful. helpful. Every other fear that we have Learn. has been either socially or personally programmed into our brain from experiences. Like I just explained, mm. right. They're socially programmed fears. And now, uh, take public speaking, for example. Right. So when you get up on stage to speak in front of an audience or, you know, majority of people get up on stage to speak in front of an audience, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Most people fears public speaking more than death. Mind blowing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get up on stage, what happens, your body physiologically has a fight or flight response. Like you're about to be eaten by a saber tooth tiger. Yep. Right. Your, your arms get sweaty. So you taste bad to the tiger. Your neck stiffens, your eyes widen, so you can spot it wherever it might be. Uh, Your blood rushes to your extremities. So you can literally like fight the tiger if you need to no joke. Your like your body, actually your, your bowels get ready to evacuate in case you need to be lighter. This is why boxers that are really nervous. They have to go to the bathroom right before. Right. So this is the fighter's flight response, but like you're not going to die by getting up on stage and talking in front of people right? But our body physiologically thinks we are going to die because of these subconscious programmings. So the first step to overcoming these fears, number one, is understanding that high, high majority of them are not real. And our body is physiologically responding like we're about to die. So as soon as you can consciously realize that you're not about to die, and you can start to tell that 5% of your brain, hey, you're going to be all right, you can start to override the 95% of your brain. And no matter what fear you're feeling, you can still take action anyways.
0: Incredible.
1: The first, first step is you have like, we never completely get rid of fear, right? Unless, I mean, I don't know if you're a meditator. Like I always tell people, if you, if you meditate like eight hours a day and eventually you start to levitate off the ground, maybe then you're void of fear. But for the rest of us humans, like you're always going to have fear. The, the, the true, you know, the true sense of worth and the true sense of success is not getting rid of fear. It's feeling the fear and taking action anyways. And when you understand where the fear is coming from, it really helps a majority of us go, okay, you know, thank you. Crazy little, you know, scared version of Xander in my head. I appreciate the feedback, but I'm going to go speak on stage anyways.
0: Mm. We are infinity X with a stage of Mike. And by the way, all of you entrepreneurs out there, if you're not watching the brain science of this breakthrough right here, you haven't been taking notes. Yeah, I, I take notes, get a pen, write it down. Go back because, you know, Sandra, So, like in, in our world in financial services, one of the biggest fears that you see is the fear of rejection. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to ask somebody for a check. I'm not going to ask somebody for a partnership. I'm not going to ask somebody to take action because I'm afraid of the word. No. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and and you and that coaches people out of our industry left and right. You know, and yeah. So- Do you,
1: is that a reoccurring pattern that you see in the, in, in the people that you're coaching or you'll see, you'll see the fear of rejection everywhere. And I'll tell you why, um, the fear of rejection is closely tied to the emotion of shame, Mm -hmm. right? So the fear of rejection basically results in, if, if I'm rejected, I would feel ashamed. And as evolutionary man, you're actually going to be, if you get like socially shamed, you're going to be outcast. Right. Right. So. Take it back to you're, you're living in a small community of 200 people in a tribe. If you're socially shamed and rejected by someone or multiple people, you're now going to be outcast. Well, you're going to die. Right. I don't know how to explain it to you. You're going to be eaten by saber tooth. You're not going to be able to defend it. You're going to die. Right. right. So shame, um, Dr. David Hawkins talks about this shame as an emotional, as an emotion is the lowest energetic emotion that we can feel as humans. Mm. So right above death. In fact, shame is so low that it is, you know, and I've done a lot of studying around this after losing my best friend. Shame is the main reason that people actually take their life. So people will fear shame more than death. Yeah. That's incredible. So, so to think about it, right. We're like, Oh, look, stop being so afraid of getting a no. stop being afraid of being rejected. Well, subconsciously your programming is literally fear this just as much as death. Yeah. Because as as evolutionary man, it would mean being outcast and then eventually dying. So that feeling of shame or being socially outcast is is one of the hardest fears to overcome for any of us because we don't don't understand where it's coming from, right? And again, once you start to understand where it's coming from and you can start to have this conversation of, I'm just afraid of being rejected because my programming, my 95% of my brain, my programming has led me to believe that being socially outcast would lead to death. Right. But the reality is if you ask for that check and they say, no, you're not going to be socially
0: outcast outcast or die. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, I think that's the, that's the thing that I would say there because it's, you know, the fear of rejection, it's also the fear of, Just being criticized in general, the fear of people judging you in general um, is just such a massive, massive fear. And it's one of the biggest ones that I've found prevent people from being successful in in any area, whether they're coaches, whether they're financial advisors, whatever they might be in any space, the fear of criticism, the fear of people judging you, and that fear of rejection is by far the biggest limiter.
0: We are Infinity X giving a stage and microphone to Xander Fryer, the coach of coaches, coaches over 800 coaches. Uh, best-selling author. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, hell yeah, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope the mouth keeps getting fuller and fuller, brother, because you uh you're definitely up to some really, really unbelievable things. Replay on we WeAreInfinityX We are infinityx YouTube. You have a question for Xander, please put it into the chat. So uh, you are on this unbelievable trajectory and then you start to identify and, and, and you have, yeah, I think you had mentioned you had like five friends who were looking to try to get into the yeah. place that really approached you and said, Hey, what are you doing so much differently? And, that sparked a business model, right? And that sparked yeah. uh, the the birth of the birth of which. And by the way, and the name of your podcast is "The Shit That They Don't Teach You in College." I think yeah. that, that is one shit of you the,
1: don't learn in college. Yeah,
0: you don't learn in college.
1: That is one of the dopest names of a podcast I've ever heard. About Thanks. My life. I, think I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, just, just so you're aware, it took a two year battle with the uh, that went to the U.S. Supreme Court to actually get that trademarked. So that might be another story we can dig into. <laughs>
0: We're gonna play in that space a little bit. Absolutely.
1: Yep. 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 We. <laughs> Want to hear a lot more about that. That's that's
0: ridiculous. Um, shit, you just
1: <laughs> I <laughs> threw you off, didn't I? I threw you I off. Mean, I,
0: I, I mean, two years in the Supreme Court, not <laughs> anybody else. So coaches are approaching you and there's it's so yeah, I look at, I fashion myself, you know, I'm, I'm a financial coach, right? You know, I, I, I take a major leadership role with clients, with businesses, et cetera, but what are some, you know, anybody is constantly looking to monitor and measure and scale upward, right? In the Mm -hmm. coaching, in the direct coaching to entrepreneur space, what are you finding that is a reoccurring pattern of things that coaches could improve on, or that you're constantly looking to try to get people out of uh, doing in terms of bad habits?
1: Um, Honestly, it, you know, the, the truth is there's different things at every stage, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's a lot of bad habits that, you know, I always, I always tell people what got you here, won't get you there. Right. So there's bad habits that prevent people from getting to their first six figures or their first, you know, 20 K per month. And those bad habits are not going to be the same as what gets someone from 20 K a month to 40 to 60 K a month. And those bad habits are not going to be the same when you're going from 60 to 200 K a month. Right. So yep. really they're, they're, they're different at every stage. Um, you know, I would say in the very beginning, in the very beginning, it's it, it's a lot of the personal stuff, right? Like I always tell people, really getting your coaching business up and running is it's it's as much of a personal development journey as it is a business development journey. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no other business in the world where you are the product, the face, the market, the the everything, right? When you if you were if you were to run like an ecom business selling you know, yoga mats on Amazon, right? When you get a three-star review on Amazon for your yoga mat, you go read the review and you go, oh, they said, you know, it needs to be firmer and it smelt funky after three uses. And I can, I can fix this with different material and stuff like that. Right. Not, not a huge deal, but again, like we were talking about fear of judgment, fear of criticism, fear of rejection. What happens when you have a client that gives you a three-star review and you're the product, right? Now we start to take that as a self-worth issue. If they said that my, my product wasn't, you know, the level that they wanted it to be, that means that I'm not the level that I, I need to be and I am unworthy. And you start to take these criticisms as your self-worth issues rather than taking them as learning opportunities, right? So, you know, it's, it's different in the start, just like we mentioned, it's the shame, fear of judgment, fear of criticism, overcoming that, and then learning the, you know, the fundamentals of marketing, sales, things like that. Um, once you start to get up into the higher levels, it's the, you know, it's the bad habits of of you know not focusing in the right areas. Or, you know, I I always tell people what takes someone from multiple six figures to seven figures is uh, not doing more things, it's doing less things better. Better, sure. Right. And and most people don't really realize that they get to 20k a month, 30k a month. They're like, Oh, I need to go do more stuff. And I'm like, actually, no, you probably need to do less things and you need to get better at them. You can get to the seven figure mark with one product one audience one one avatar one one lead generation method one conversion method and you'll make to, make it to you know seven figures maybe even multiple seven figures and then you have to start to consider doing a set of second product and things like that um, so it's really different at every stage
0: we have a question coming in from Michelle right now and her question is curious how you might advise someone how to set rate uh, what set rates for services oh this is an interesting question services who is traditionally paid through an insurance model which is half their what is that half their current private pay rate which is less than the value of their service. That's an interesting question. How would you pro- respond to that one?
1: Yeah, I think and and help me clarify this if I'm going down the ra- the wrong direction. But I, I think you're doing that backwards. Um, I don't I don't ever set my I don't set my rates based on what's done in the past or based on what anything else is. I set my rates based on the value of the service, and I learn on communicating that value better. So, so most people have this issue because they think that they're going to set a rate for set a rate for whatever service it is. And that's going to be what allows them to sell it. Well, that's because most people don't know how to communicate the value of what they're doing. If you can help people understand the value we have, we have clients all the time. All use, um, you know, we're talking about using insurance to help pay for it or help cover it. Uh, we have clients in the health and wellness space actually just got off a call earlier today with one of our clients, uh, who's a naturopathic doctor. She was used to, You know her clients. uh, A majority of what she would do with clients per session, you know, part of it being covered on under insurance. And we actually moved her to what we refer as a a high ticket or a premium price uh, coaching program. So she now sells clients uh, to work with her for anywhere between six to eight weeks for uh, between four and six thousand dollars, right? Which was uh, essentially somewhere between five to ten x what she was charging before,
0: right? Wow. Yeah.
1: And and you know her big question was, you know, Xander, what you know. What, you know, how am I, how am I going to convince people, uh, you know, to pay this when, you know, they normally pay with insurance. I said, you're not going to convince them anything. You're going to help them realize the value of this so that it doesn't matter that it's not covered by insurance. Right. And when she was working with people, you know, right now she's working with people that are having hormonal issues. They're struggling with PCOS. They're struggling with uh, autoimmune disorders. Right. And so for her, like PCOS or autoimmune disorders, that's going to affect your entire life. Sure. Right. It's it's gonna affect your career. It's gonna affect your your mental state, your mindset. It ruins marriages, right? How much does how much does a divorce cost? Right. So, you know, the the truth is when somebody really understood how much this this diagnosis was ruining their life, five thousand dollars to fix it is nothing. If they can get their energy back, if they can get their life back, they can get their career back, get their marriage back. So uh, I would say, you know, setting your rates. Um, I never, I almost never set my rates based on what people traditionally pay, right? I always set my rates based on what the value I'm bringing to someone actually is. And then you have to learn how to communicate that value in the end, we all have to learn the art of sales. And I think a lot of people have a, have a very negative stigma around sales, but I will, I, I will tell everybody right now that you're all salesmen and women. If you have, if you have a partner or a husband or a wife you sold that person on spending the rest of their damn life with you. Absolutely. So you sold someone on something. Yep. Yep. And you know, to me, sales is sales is leadership. John Maxwell says leadership is influence Influence is sales. Therefore sales and leadership are the same thing. So right.
0: The absence of value, my brother,
1: 100%. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, yep. and if you're, if you're doing something that is worthwhile in this world, that's helping people, you better work on, we're talking about limiting beliefs. You better start working on that limiting belief and fear and realizing that that is a subconscious programming that maybe your parents gave to you or you learned from watching some TV show growing up that is preventing you from actually moving forward and helping people. And you better start working on it because there's probably dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people out there that need your help. And if you don't learn how to sell your product or service, they're not going to get your help.
0: Outstanding. Michelle, thank you so much for that question. I hope that that answered it. That was Drop the mic, dime, golden nugget right there. Standard, that was fantastic. By the way, that's applicable for anybody that's in any any type of, you know, integrous sales environment, you know. you know. Yeah, we'll,
1: we'll emphasize the integrous sales environment for sure. <laughs> it yeah.
0: absolutely needs to be. Because if it's not, you get out right now.
1: yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> so, So I love I love what you're up to, brother. So 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 you start coaching coaches, right? And then what happened next, right? As as you start as you really started to scale into, tell me going through this journey.
1: I mean, you know, the next the next four years are just the entrepreneurial journey. It's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of learning, a lot of lefts and rights, and and turns Growing a team, and uh, you know, for me, I think you know as I keep growing through this business, it's just I tell people building an entrepreneurial business, and I kind of mentioned this is the best personal development that I've ever been through because at every stage I have to learn, I have to learn to let go of the past version of me, right? So, you know, the me now that's pushing for an eight figure business and we've got a team of 20 and, you know, we're, we're growing and scaling and impacting, you know, hundreds of people's lives every single month. You know, the version that I am now can't even recognize the person I was two years ago who couldn't even recognize the person I was when I left Cisco, right? Said. Yep. And, and I, I think that for me is, is one of my favorite parts about being an entrepreneur is because, you know, if you get stuck at a level, most of the time, it's because you have become attached to who you are at that level. And, and there's a limitation that is kind of preventing you from going to that next stage and impacting more people, having more, more freedom, more abundance, uh, being able to give back more, right? I couldn't, I couldn't ever imagine how much we're able to give back right now because of, you know, not only the, the people that we work with are then going back and giving back to the community. But also just because of the cash flow we have, we get to donate to some amazing causes that change oh, people's awesome. lives. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And Xander, um, let me dive into
0: that growth model a little bit because, um, yeah, two questions. The first is, <laughs> when did you? <laughs> you're leaving me. You're you're leaving me open to ask about sixty different questions with every single statement. We'll being. take it
1: wherever you want to go, man. Wherever uh, you want to go. So
0: when did you recognize that you were going to have to start to replicate yourself and what were the qualities of the individual when you were bringing them onto your team that you were specifically looking into?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I recognized that very early on and kind of like I mentioned to you, my like part of the reason that I left Cisco was to lead people. Yes. Right. So I've been a big fan of, of team and building team since the very beginning. I think my first, my first hire that I had, you know, I made it to about the 50K a month mark uh, on my own before I, I brought on my first uh, team member and started to replicate myself. And frankly, you know, the types of people that I was looking for, I was looking for, I was looking pe- for people that were aligned first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people, I always tell our clients, whenever you have a role that you want to fill, uh, I always ask myself three questions. Number one, do they want to do it? Or sorry, number one, can they do it? Number two, will they do it? Number three, do they want to do it? Mm-hmm. And the third question is always the most important to me. The can they do it and will they do it are, are kind of, you know, additives to that. But if someone really wants to be a part of your team, really wants to be a part of the community is aligned in your vision. Like a lot of the time you can teach tactical skills. You can teach these other things, but there's certain things that you can't teach that are innate and alignment is one of them. Right. I, I think, you know. There's something to be said about values as well. Like that value, you know, those value fits and cultural fits. People talk about cultural fit all the time, hire for culture, train for strategy, train for skill sets, things like that. And I've always found that to be true. Every time that we hired somebody, every time that we hired somebody, uh, that had the skill set, but we were like, Oh, maybe they're a cultural fit. They were gone within the first 30 days. Everybody that's made it past 30 days. And again, I will mind you that my company is mostly millennials. Uh, they've been with me for years. Right, so how do like you keep millennials on for years? You're you're doing something right, but majority of it is just because they're aligned. Right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Now, with that in mind, um, millennials are marketing in it, you know, and your generation is marketing in a different generation than my generation was, which was Generation X. You know, I mean, again, you know, in financial services, we are taught from a marketing standpoint the most antiquated, old school, repetitive. Guaranteed failure rates that you'll ever see, you know, and they literally haven't changed their models in years. What what are they? What are they taught? By the way, I want to know now. This sounds great. They're they're taught how to write down the two hundred people. You know, they call it the Project Two Hundred. The two hundred people that you know, ten friends and family, you know, and you know, or ten people that they went to high school with, ten people that they went to college with, and go have coffee with them, and you know, and uh, you know, see, you know, see if they might be interested in either giving you a referral or, um, you know, hearing about the insurance or something of that, you know, and, and it, they're not, they're not being taught how to create systems where conditioned sales conversations are finding you, but you're constantly seeking to find them. And we, you know, the time clock is ticking against you, you know, essentially it's take spaghetti, throw it up against the wall, see what sticks. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's old school. It's incredibly, incredibly old school. Yeah. You, you, on the other hand, have hacked into a couple of different marketing verticals. And one of them is social media, right? You have a big yep. fo- a big following on some. When did you dive deeper into that? And what was your strategy in that space?
1: Yeah, I think um, I dove into that from the very beginning. It's funny because I didn't even, I didn't even have an Instagram or a Facebook when I started my business because I, I hated social media. Um, <laughs> and I, frankly, I still hate social media. Um, but I think for me, it was a different, it was a, it was a reframing in my mind of what social media was. Um, I, ne- I to this day, I still never consider social media, social media. And my wife hates me because of this, because I don't use social media as a social platform to post my personal stuff. It's business media to me. It is social media is the most amazing tool, at least to this point in our history for entrepreneurs ever invented to connect with your ideal audience anywhere in the world. It's it's amazing to me, right? And I I hear a lot of people that are like I don't want to use social media for my lead. I'm like, that's fine. Don't you're just like you know. It's like if you're getting into a fight and someone gives you a gun and the other team's fighting with swords, like don't put down the gun, right? right? Like (laughs) it's an amazing piece of technology, right? Like yeah, like get rid of it if you don't like it, but just understand you're putting yourself behind the eight ball if you do, right? So, you know, for me, I hated social media, but I I recognized it as business media. This is a tool. That is clearly amazing to develop an intimate relationship and, and don't get me wrong. Like I actually, I think the, the old antiquated stuff is actually, it has its place. I think it's really important to go sit down and have these conversations with people to understand the emotions, to understand your avatar, to understand the language they're using, what works, what doesn't, how most people are feeling and and what really connects with people. I think there's, there's no way to replace these conversations, but you don't have to go set up, you know, an hour to go to a coffee meeting to do this all the time. You can actually have these conversations on social. I could go have 20 of them right now on my Instagram, but, you know, instead of having to go set up a coffee date with, you know, some high school or college friends, I could literally reach out to 20 people and just start having a conversation with them and learn what their big problems are, learn how they're struggling in their business, learn, learn how what's working, what's not, and, and really get an understanding of the language they use. And I can do that all before we're done with the show. (laughs) Yep. And, you know, my friend,
0: uh, Sean Callagy is always talking about what you want to elevate is your stage of microphone. Right. Yeah. Make your stage and microphone bigger. The more people that you're able to share your unique heroic identity with, the larger opportunity you're going to have to have conditioned conversations because your stage is bigger. So, my qu- yeah, when you're when you're looking at a post that you're going to put out on so- on social media, is it targeted at specific individuals, or at, yeah, you see you're laughing. There's going to be something funny yeah. behind this one. Is it targeted at specific individuals? Like, what goes into the thought dynamic behind your posts?
1: Um, the reason I'm laughing is because I, I am not, I, I think I'm not typical for most entrepreneurs. I, I tell everybody that about 50% of my posts are just a test. <laughs> I, like I'm just playing like my social media is just a testing ground for me. So the reason that I bring that up is because we'll do both. We'll do everything. Well, you know, in the end, the goal for, like I mentioned, it's business media. So if I find that, you know, doing some more generic posts are connecting better, I'll do more generic posts. If I find that doing something targeted and specific is doing better, I'm going to do more of it. So I, most of the time I don't really develop a strategy. I, I actually go test out. I'm constantly saying like, Hey, what's something different we can test out here. What's Mm -hmm. something we haven't tried. And we'll actually go. I think a lot of people are like your social media has to be perfect. Your social media has to be dialed in and on point. And literally every week we're just we're like, hey, let's throw some more shit at the wall and see if this one sticks. And because of that, we've actually developed a really good idea of what does stick and what converts and what doesn't convert for, for our audience. Um, but so much of it is just testing. I don't think there's a right answer. And it's? it's I have a buddy of mine. Most, I'll tell you now the, the concrete answer is most of our stuff um, is a little bit broader. And then we have some really, really concrete stuff that's very, very specific and targeted at the same time that falls within the, the, the broader messaging. And uh, I've found a couple of my friends do it very differently. Right. And they're, they have big followings and maybe they one is just incredibly specific on absolutely everything that he does. And the other one is just completely broad on everything that he, that he does and both of them work fine for them. Right. But in the end it comes down to testing it, you know, it's like, it's kind of like trying to uh, like hit a bullseye with a bow and arrow on the back of a horse while you're riding backwards oh, you're riding on a, on a bumpy road, right? On a bumpy road. While the, while the target is also on a horse. Right. So, so in the end, like you got to know that like your audience, your offer, your personality, like you kind of have to figure out what's going to work for you by testing some stuff in my opinion. So,
0: yeah, I lo- and, and that's a great access point for me because you know, there's a lot of different, you've talked talk about business media, but there's a lot of different verticals that you can center and focus on. Um, yeah. We've been able to build out um, really fantastic content and follow sh- and, and followership on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. My partner has unbelievable growth rate in TikTok. Right? You know, yeah. t- you know, <laughs> Which is you know, I I personally didn't see that one coming, but it's it's be it's it's rapidly. I think, and, I, and I would
1: bet, I would, I would bet that he's probably got like a more targeted focus on TikTok. Right? Um. Yeah, to a degree, I think. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, and, and that took some trial and error too, you know, yeah. I would say, but um, what, what, what um, outlets in that space are you focusing? On? Is it what, you know, LinkedIn? I mean, every, every one <laughs> of those is different in its own way. What are you focusing? They're all,
1: they're all, they're all like languages. That's This is what I tell people. Every one of them is like learning a language, right? So I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are like, you know, I'm going to go, especially when they're first starting off, they're like, I'm going to go do TikTok and I'm going to do LinkedIn and I'm going to do Instagram and I'm going to do them all at the same time my response is, have you ever tried to learn Japanese and Spanish and French all at the same time? Ah, right. <laughs> and, yeah. And Latin all at the and, and the answer is no, that's stupid. So right. why are you, why, why are you doing all the platforms at the same time? Um, and again, I also tell people just understand where your audience is, right? So if you're, if you're a business owner, um, know what platform your audience is going to be on. So if you want to go fishing and you want to go catch blue Marlin, you probably wouldn't go to your backyard pond. <laughs> to try and catch a blue Marlin. Right. <laughs> like you, you see what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, no, figure out where your audience is and then go put your energy and attention into focusing on that platform for a while and learning the language, learning that platform, uh, to figure out how to try to, to, to get that platform to convert. Like, for example, I'll give some, give some ideas. Um, you know, whenever we have, whenever we have someone who's in the career space, Right. Well, you can find that audience on Instagram and you can find them on Facebook. You can find them on TikTok, but one of the easiest places to find them is LinkedIn, right? It's, it's just a no brainer. Like you can find specific careers. You can find specific levels, whether they're executive director, like LinkedIn is just so easy to find your audience. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to fish for those career people, you go to LinkedIn, right? And so it's kind of, that kind of makes it a little bit easier. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're, this one's surprising, if you're in the health and wellness space and you're helping people lose weight, right. You can actually do that on pretty much every platform. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so at that point you just got to like, we have, we have, uh, coaches that are making multiple six figures on LinkedIn yep. for health and wellness. We have coaches on Facebook. We have coaches on Instagram. We have coaches on TikTok. They can literally be on any platform because who, like who wants to lose weight, what 90% of the world or something, right? It's insane. Right. How, like the amount of people that actually want to lose weight. So they're all over every platform. So, so that one's a pretty easy one. We've found for us helping coaches, majority of coaches are uh, at least the coaches that we work with. A majority of them are on Instagram and Facebook right now. They're on TikTok as well. Um, but like I mentioned, we're still like, even at the place that we're at, we're still learning, you know, just Japanese and it keeps growing and growing. So we we don't try and go into too many different platforms at the same time. We try and focus on on one or two and really, really emphasize it. Xander, are you proactively marketing right now
0: or is the business kind of finding you now? A little bit of both. Hmm.
1: A little bit of both. Business definitely finds us, but we are we are absolutely actively uh, marketing as well. So I
0: have a question for you in that space because uh, yeah. I get approached by coaches quite a bit, right? You know, and a lot of it comes on LinkedIn, actually, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. in financial services, a lot of people, you know, they see what we're doing out there and they and I get these in, I get these inbox messages just about daily. And it's literally like, will you marry me? I'm going to offer you this, 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 and this. And I read about the first two words of that. And I delete it because I know it's the exact. And by the way, the worst yeah. thing that they do is say, Hey, David J. Right. As opposed to, you know, Hey Dave or something like that, because I'm on there as David J. Harder. Right. You know, yeah. That's when you know that you want to cut it off, but um, can you share with the folks and when you're trying to create an engagement in social Um, or on the, on one of those platforms, what your approach looks like if you're being proactive.
1: Yeah. So, so the proactivities, I'll, I'll give you a little analogy. Um, if you were, are you, are are you a door-to-door fan? Do you love when people come and do door-to-door sales at your home? I respect it. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it. Most most people most people aren't the biggest fan, and this is why I'm going to use this as an analogy, right? Yep. So because I think it's perfect. Because you kind of you kind of just gave the perfect like LinkedIn analogy of a door to door salesman, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he's coming into your personal space, and he's coming in hot, and he's he's ready to sell you the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So the analogy that I give is like if you have a hundred homes that that you want to potentially we'll call it they're selling knives or whatever it is, right? Um, so if you've got a hundred homes that you want to, uh, sell these knives to, you could go door to door to every single one and you go knock on the door and they open the door and you go, Hey Dave, or, you know, Hey, my name's Xander. What's your name? And they go, you go Dave and you go, Oh, how's it going? You having a great day? And you start some meaningless conversation. And then, uh, you know, eventually it slips out by the way, is your, know, your knife set, the last set of knives you ever want to own. And you're like, Oh my God, slam the door. Right. Like, And so, you know, whenever it comes out that this person is trying to tell you something, we we just, we turn off and we go, screw this. Um, So you'll get some great sales that way, but it's, it's not very fun. No, not at all. It's not not very fun. And talk about, talk about like, you know, having to get over a fear of rejection, you're going to get a lot of rejection. So maybe that's actually good for a little personal development, but but not really the direction we want to go. So you know, what you really want to do is you never want to be an uninvited pest. You want to be an invited guest, right? So the way that I explain this to people is like, if you made a little flyer that said, you know, Hey, I'm having a a knife party at the end of the block Tuesday at five 30. You know, if you're looking for a new knife set, you know, we'd love to have you. Right. And you just slide that under everybody's door. Right. Little less invasive, nothing crazy, not taking up anybody's personal time. Right. And they take this flyer and there's going to be a lot of people that are like, Mm, not for me. They recycle it. No harm, no foul. Right. But then, you know, of the hundred houses, maybe 20, 25 of them are like, you know, I could actually use a knife set. And they're actually going to come to your little knife party at the end of the block. All 25 of these people have now, uh, raised their hand and basically said, you are no longer an uninvited pest. You're an uninvited guest right now. I want you to tell me about these knives. I want to talk to you about What they can do for me and why it's important. I just gave you permission to sell me. So, this is what's called permission based sales, right? So, when you ask permission or you invite people to something where you can then have the conversation, it takes away all the salesiness, it takes away all the uncomfortable conversation. And frankly, it just makes it, you can have an honest conversation and you can, and you can really connect with people and, and not have to feel like you're hiding something back here that you're about to pop out behind the corner. Like I gotcha by my knives. <laughs> right. So, you know, the most important thing is make sure that whenever you're talking about whatever you're talking about, make sure that they've been, they've been given the opportunity to say yes or no. I, I want permission to talk about this, this thing that's going on. And, and that's true for whatever platform you're on. Right. So, you know, a good example is on Instagram, right? I'm sure everybody on Instagram has, you know, been on Instagram or at some point somebody reaches out to you that you have no idea who they are. They're not following you. And they're just like, don't you want to buy this? Or I can help you do this. And you're like, where did you come from? (laughs) Right. But, but, but for example, if, you know, if I have, you know, we have a, you guys can go check out my Instagram. Um, if you go to at Xander Fryer every now and then we'll just invite people. Hey, if you're looking to grow your coaching business, shoot me a DM. Right or comment below right and if you comment below uh, we'll reach out and we'll we'll have a conversation so it's it's if you're interested in having the conversation we'd love to chat and then they give you permission and then you go have the conversation
0: this is xander fryer we are infinity x given the stage and microphone to human excellence the replay will be available on we are and we are infinityx youtube and xander last question be uh, we only have a couple more minutes here but um as you look at five years
1: into the future,
0: what does your company look like, and what type of impact and influence are you
1: having on the world? Didn't we just say that I'm a millennial? You think I can see five years into the future? <laughs> right, five minutes into the future? Yeah, five, five, maybe <laughs> five days, five weeks? No, we actually we. <laughs> um, so five years into the future, we're so we're our our coaching business as of right now, um, where we're coaching coaches to actually build entrepreneurially and, and build their businesses that's going to be the major focus for the next two to three years. Um, you know, we're, we're scaling rapidly and, you know, honestly, my, my goal there is to help, you know, we want to get to somewhere between five and 10,000 coaches because it, you know, if I put it this way. If I can help 10,000 coaches build a full-time business, whether they are six figures, multiple six figures, seven figures, doesn't matter to me. I, I need them to be doing it full time because the truth is like these coaches want to serve the world. Yep right? And it's because most of them don't understand the money and all of that sort of stuff, the business and the marketing that they don't get to really serve as many people as really need them. Now, if I can help 10,000 people go full-time and they, in the future, then go help even just a hundred people, well, then I've changed the lives of a million people, right? Well, what if they go forward and help a thousand people? Then I've changed the lives of 10 million people. What if a handful of them go forward and they help another 10,000 people, you know, now I'm really getting up there in terms of the impact that we're having, um, just by helping these coaches be able to build businesses. Um, so the next stage in our business, five years from now, we will have uh, we will have launched the second stage, which is uh, actually certifying coaches, helping them learn how to coach. So this was, you know, this is kind of the precursor to launching the business. Um, you know, personally, we've we've like I mentioned, we've helped over eight hundred coaches that have been certified by this organization or by this you know department or by this whatever certification or this degree. And none of these certifications, at least that I found do a great job of really help, like really positioning coaches to make it a business and and have a a full-time income while changing people's lives. So what we found from our studies is the majority of certifications, somewhere between 90 to 95% of coaches who get certified, never do anything with it, which is heartbreaking to me. So the next stage in the business is, you know, we want to come in and just fix that because I think it's a huge issue. Um, so really teeing people up for success when it comes to also learning the tactical skills of how to coach, well, how to serve others as a leader. So five years from now, we'll see where that is. Incredible.
0: Incredible. Drop the mic on that one, folks. This is Xander Fryer. You can find him on Instagram at Xander Fryer, 800 plus coaching clients, best-selling author, the podcast. One more time, Xander. Shit. You don't learn in college. I love, I love it's amazing the shit you do not learn in college. That is amazing. Hey, by the way, Sandra, we um, I'd love to connect with you offline. I have some ideas. We at my firm have found some ways where we help influencers like yourself to further monetize their brand, uh, and we've found ways where we can create additional conditioned conversations for people, not only like yourself, but the people you're coaching. So I would love, I love everything that you have shared with me today. Perfect. And- I see you in my future, brother, and I would really, really like to uh, build off of today's conversation. I thought it was unbelievable. We talked, folks. We talked about brain science. We talked about strategy for business. We talked about verticals. We talked about social media. Um, replay again. We are InfinityX.com. We are InfinityX YouTube. Xander, any parting shots for the folks here before we call tonight?
1: I would just say, you know, the last thing is just you know, face your fears, take courageous action, move forward. Fear is the only thing that's preventing you from life with more money, more meaning, more freedom. So Xander, you
0: are a rock star brother. And I really, really loved having you on here, folks. Again, this is Xander Fryer. We are infinity X replay. We are infinity X YouTube and we are InfinityX.com. Xander. Look forward to co-creating with you more brother. And folks, again, this has been Xander Fryer. Thank you so much. Hope you got uh, a tremendous amount of value out of it until next week, folks. We are infinity X saying, have a great night. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.